and they were roommates. Oh my gosh, they were roommates. We do not in any way officially represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Brigham Young University, Idaho. All opinions expressed belong solely to the hosts of this podcast. Hello, this is Chelsea. Hey, yo, it's Connor. And this is, and they were roommates. Welcome. Episode three. It is indeed. So, news from the junk drawer. What do you got? Yeah, I've got a, <laughs> I've got a good one. Um, it's not super new, but um, Elon Musk and his uh, partner Grimes have a baby boy. Baby. Wait, so they're not married? I, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't okay. believe so. Um, they had. They have a new baby, and the name is what's kind of captured the internet's attention, because it's pretty wild. I heard that the state of California doesn't accept this as a name. Like, it's actually, they refuse to, like, accept it as a name? I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know what the name is, so you tell me. There's rules. In a lot of states, there's rules, like, you can't put in, like... Numbers? Yeah, certain characters. It has to be, like, under a certain amount of... It has to have a certain character limit. So, I don't know where (laughs) they named this child, but um, I don't even know. So, there's been a lot of um, discussion about how it's actually pronounced, and... um, (laughs) It's, Give it your best shot, because I'm dying to see yeah, what it is. Yeah, but here's the funny thing. Not only is the name wild, but neither of them can decide on how it's pronounced. <laughs> so, according to Grimes um, on Instagram, it's just X, like the letter X, and then AI, like how you said the letter A and then I. X-A-I? Is that what the kid's name is? Um, I'll show you. How it's I'll show you how it's spelled. Okay. But bro, I'm trying my best. Like <laughs> that's, that's the whole point is nobody knows how to pronounce it with human words. What so so they but they don't even know how to say it then. Yeah, okay, so um later um Elon Musk went on a podcast and you know, obviously you're gonna ask what how to pronounce it, and yeah. he says, um admits that she was the one who named their child. Okay. And he says, um, I mean, it's just X. The letter X. And then... So is it like the middle name is AI? No. You're gonna have to let me get through this. I'm sorry. If you don't let me get through this, we'll never reach the end. (laughs) You just have to... You just need to hold my hand and have faith. Okay, I'm here Um, for it. I'm here for it. Okay. I mean, it's just X. The letter X. And then the character is pronounced Ash. And then A-12. Is my contribution. So I will now show you how it's written. X A E A dash twelve. Yeah. That looks like a model for one of his like rockets. I like know, that's I'm, a rocket. I'm not convinced that this child was not made in the lab. <laughs> I'm unconvinced that it is not a gift from an alien race. Um That's like a lab tag number. <laughs> like that's like what you a serial number that you put on a product. And then later you name it, you know, the assembler or something, and then you <laughs> and then you trademark it. That's not a name. <laughs> hey yo, they named it. It's a name. So it's Ash. Like the baby's name is supposed to be called Ash. Yo, I don't know. Okay, I'm sorry. You know, I'm I'm just I'm so confused. 
Which I guess is, makes sense why the everyone only, else is confused. Not only is it a wild meme, but I came out of this just as, as confused as I came into it. <laughs> I'm more confused than I came into it. I know. It's So, whatever this kid's name is, congratulations to them. Whatever you're on, I need to have it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's alien drugs that <laughs> are... What if Elon Musk is actually an alien? Like, wouldn't that make sense to a lot of people? I mean... Because, I mean, he's trying to get to space. Mm -hmm. He's super smart and insane. <laughs> so, that's my theory. That's take theory. it or Take it or leave it, you know? Okay. So, today's topic, super excited about. So, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna talk... We're gonna talk about historical figures, but we're just gonna focus on one today, and then we're gonna do another one next week. Yeah. Chelsea's got us handled today, and then I'm gonna take over um, next week. Yeah. So, this week, we're gonna be talking about Joan of Arc. <laughs> um, Beautiful. Thank you. Okay, so I called my mom earlier just to tell about, like, what we're talking about today. <laughs> Because my mom listen to, listens to the podcast. And she's like, hey, you know, you remember when you dressed up for Joan of Arc for Halloween? And I was like, what? How do you dress up as Joan of Arc for Halloween? So I what, asked, is, what does that costume entail? I asked her the same thing because I don't remember any of this. Yeah. And she's like, well, okay, so do you remember there, there was a shield that had a Roman cross on it? And then you had a sword, and then we had a family friend provide some, like, chain mail kind of a thing. It was basically just, like, cheap, yeah. um, like a cheap Halloween costume with just, like, silver sequins on it. Yeah. As, like, chain mail. Yeah. And... I was gonna say, who's the blacksmith that lives next to you? <laughs> child, child armory. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, so it was, it was me and this chain mail and this sword and shield, and it was, I was Joan of Arc. Yo, sick. Yeah, so mom, if you have the picture to that, I would love to have it because that's super dope. Yeah. So anyways, I've always had a fascination with Joan of Arc because yeah. she's kind of incredible. And like when I researched it, I it just, it, it continues to blow my mind. So yeah. let's start at the beginning, oh, shall we? Okay. Okay. It starts with a prophecy. Mm -hmm. So this is the Maid of Lorraine prophecy. And it says... France would be ruined through a woman and afterwards restored by a virgin. And some of these, so there's different versions of the prophecy. And one of them is that there's a maid who that, who's supposed to come from the borders of Lorraine. So that's why it's called the Maid of Lorraine mm -hmm. prophecy, because it's about this girl who's supposed to save France. Yeah. The prophecies were attributed to several sources, including St. Bidet, the Vulnerable, Euglide... <laughs> that's... <laughs> Interesting, because I've never felt more vulnerable when I'm on a bidet. <laughs> ah, it's spelled B-E-D-E. -E. So maybe it's Bede, St. Bede the Vulnerable? I don't know. But <laughs> Euglide of Hungary and Merlin. Nice. Yeah. So this story is already, like... <laughs> Majestical in all sorts of ways. <laughs> yeah. It's... Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Okay. So here's a little historical background, because it's really kind of imperative to the whole point of Joan of Arc's life. Yeah. Um, so it takes place during the Hundred Years' War, which is like the Middle Ages, uh, or the 1400s, which is... So the, the, the war was about a dispute about who would inherit the French throne. Yeah. And the war had been going on for almost a century at this point. Charles VI had an inconsistent role because of his bouts with insanity. 
Nice. Yeah, so I was trying to look up, like, was he schizophrenic? Like, do they know? And basically, he there was a situation where he thought he was St. George, and he had a... Uh-huh. He, he had, like, he imagined that he had, like, some sort of, like, saber in him. Like, he was stuck through, even though there was nothing there, um, with some kind of weapon. And then he forgot that he was king and he didn't know who he was or where he was. So kind of like was out of it. And then he also had real bouts of like violence and anger and impatience. So it was all of the insanity. Uh-huh. <laughs> no one really knows what he had. You know, he there's just, like, he's weird. Yeah. It's, that's just how it is. He that's... just had psychotic breakdowns. Yeah. So his rule was very inconsistent and he, a lot of times he just couldn't rule. Yeah. So, so like this war is happening like around him, right? And he's crazy, and he's not really suitable to rule because his brain isn't there. But anyway, so because of this, the king's brother and cousin try to figure out what to do with Charles the Sixth's children. The queen had like twelve children, but not all of them stayed alive. Yeah, fortunately for the time period, that yeah, was common. It was pretty common. Um, the, anyways, the the king's brother and the cousin ended up fighting. The brother was accused of sleeping with the queen. The cousin was accused of kidnapping the king's children. Blah, blah, blah. It, <laughs> it really got out of hand, and the cousin had the brother assassinated, and so it split the kingdom up into two factions. Yeah. And one of those factions was their Burgundian faction, because the I want to say the brother was the Duke of Burgundy. So it's called the Burgundian faction after him. Naturally. Naturally. So the kids of the king eventually went to into the custody of the king's father-in-law, the Count of Armanac. This is all French, so I'm not going to claim that I know how to pronounce any of this. You know, we're just going to accept and move on. <laughs> Armanac. Well, that's okay. I already said it, so that's It's done. Wrong. It's done. So King Henry V of England saw all this drama and drama. saw... Yeah, he saw it as a way to weaken the French powers and majorly invaded France. Yeah. Um, like, from, all the way invaded France. All the way invaded because he saw that it had been majorly weakened. And so he, there was a big invasion from 1415 to like 1418. So when the king took over Paris, they killed many of the French loyalists of Charles VI. And so Charles VII assumed the title of Dauphin. So Dauphin is basically just a fancy way of saying that he is now the next in line for the throne. Yeah. And he becomes Dauphin at 14. Because his four older brothers were all killed in succession right after each other. So he's the middle child. He doesn't expect that he's going to be king. Yeah. Because he has four older brothers. It's like, even if two of them die, the two older brothers, are, one of them's going to get yeah. the title of Dauphin. Yeah. He's like, I'm going li- to live in a castle. This is dope. Fine. We're all and good. And it's like, just kidding. Now you're the king. Yeah. That, to me, is crazy. And he's 14 years old. It's just... Yeah. Yeah. Anywho, um, <laughs> at this time, in the Middle Ages, they considered 13, like, adult. Like, a young adult. Yeah. When you live to be, like, 25. Yeah, that's, like, the lifespan yeah. of a human being in the Middle Ages. <laughs> so, at 14 years old, he's deemed kind of an adult at this point. Yeah. So, Charles VII's first act as Dauphin was to sign a peace treaty with the Duke of Burgundy, his father's cousin. And during the meeting between the young king-to-be and the duke, the Count of Armanac, whose who's legal guardian, ended up killing the duke despite the guarantee of protection that was promised by Charles for the treaty meeting. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, the new Duke of Burgundy blames the 14-year-old for the murder. And so the Burgundian side with the English. So now there's this huge split Yeah. between Charles... 
and the Loyalists of France and the Burgundians that have now signed on with the English. So that's kind of setting the stage for this big war that's going on. Yeah. Okay, so then Charles VII's mother, the Queen, signed a treaty with the King of England, Henry V, guaranteeing the throne of France to the King of England. So she's not even giving... She's like, I'm out, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. She basically took the throne away from her son. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's that's pretty low. That's rough for Charles, at least. I mean, there's just no loyalty. But King Henry V and Charles VI die within a couple months of each other. So the treaty is moot because Charles is dead now. Yeah. The next successor to the throne in England is the infant King Henry VI. So he can't do anything because he's a baby at yeah. this point. They have to wait until he's at least three. Yeah. <laughs> At least wait, three to wait. six or something for him to, to actually make decisions. Big yeah. decisions for his yeah. country. Yeah. So then King Henry's brother, John of Lancaster, acts as regent, which is essentially, I'm going to act as king until he becomes old enough to take over the throne. Uh-huh. Yep. Which, until, who knows when that is? Yeah, until the kid mysteriously disappears. And, yeah. All oopsie, the, looks like I'm king now. <laughs> all the drama. So Keeping up with the burgundies. <laughs> Uh, communication was not as fast as it is now, so mm -hmm. I, I'm pretty sure that as soon as all this happened, like, months later, they found out about it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know anything. And I'm the town crier was like, yo, you gotta hear this shit. <laughs> I'm sure they did have town criers, actually, yeah. now I think about it. Okay, so let's go to Joan, because she's the best. So Joan was born around 1412 in, here we go, Domremy, France? Domremy. 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 Sounds like a perfume. Except everything <laughs> that the French say sounds like a perfume, so. Uh, her parents owned a 50-acre plot of land, and her father was a farmer and a village official collecting taxes, setting up watches, etc., just to make ends meet. Yeah. The area they lived in was still loyal to the French monarchy, but they were surrounded by Burgundian lands, and Joan experienced local burning raids a few times growing up. Yeah. So her village burned at one point. She was mainly illiterate and by all accounts a relatively normal peasant girl. Yeah. So the first vision that she experiences occurs in her father's garden when she's about 13 years old. So an adult. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, she claims she saw the angel Michael, St. Catherine, and St. Margaret. So I don't know anything about St. Margaret, but St. Catherine is this girl who she was a princess and she converted to christianity when she was 14 and then she got other people to convert um which was heresy at the time yeah and so she i think she was executed when she was like 16 but during the time that she was alive she converted a lot of people and so to me it makes sense why she would show up to joan yeah. Cause she's like, they're similar in age and experience. Yeah. Whether or not she actually saw St. Catherine. I just thought it was interesting. But anyway, so they, they, angels told her that she needed to drive out the English and take the dauphin to Reims for his consecration to be king. Because mm -hmm. at this point, he was like the next in line, but he wasn't officially like crowned king. Yeah. So Joan said she cried when they left because they were so beautiful. Oh, honey. Yeah, isn't that the saddest thing it's not sad it's just to me i'm like oh baby girl it's uh so cute and sad and precious yeah. yeah um okay so three years later she discovers she has a relative that knows Baud 
Here we go. Bodricor, who is a garrison commander and has the ability to grant people access to the royal, a French royal court. So she convinces her relative to take her to Bodricor, and then she petitions Bodricor to take her to the royal court with an armed escort. So, of course, he mocks her and tells her off, like, yeah, right. Um, But over the next few months, Joan befriends two of Bajacor's soldiers, Jean de Metz and Bertrand de Polengi. Yep. Uh, So both these guys are noblemen, essentially. So according to Jean de Metz, she told him that I must be at the king's side. There will be no help for the kingdom if not from me. Although I would rather have remained spinning wool at my mother's side, yet must I go and must I do this thing for my lord wills that I do so. So I just update. This girl's like, yo, these two pretty ladies came and, you know, I don't want to be here either, but... (laughs) No, actually, what it reminded me of is when Nephi was like, I will go and do as the lord commands. That's what I thought of when I was reading it. I just hear that, like, when I read that, I hear that with resignation. (laughs) Right, because she's like, I don't want to drive off the English. Like, I'm a 13-year-old, or at this point, she's 16. Yeah, I got, like, five more years left in me. (laughs) That's what I got. She's tenacious, though, and you'll, we shall see how tenacious she is. Oh. So, jumping ship, let's go on to another thing here. So while this is going on, the Siege of Orleans is hot and happening. That's what I wrote in my notes. Uh, Orleans is one of the few cities left that the French controls and the English are attempting to capture it. Uh Uh-huh. During the siege, the French armies perform a military funeral ritual in which the soldiers march with their weapons pointed backwards as a way to mourn those that have died in battle. This is a thing. Like, this isn't just a French thing. This is, like, a military thing. Oh. Yeah. I thought it was weird, too, but I was like, oh, this is a thing. Okay. Anyway, so this ritual is called a military reversal. Uh, So a messenger is sent to notify the areas around that this ritual is taking place. Mm -hmm. Um, So back to Joan and her nobleman buddies. Uh, They provide her... (laughs) Dude bros. (laughs) Um, They provide her a second meeting with Bodricor. Uh, So during this meeting, the nobleman argues Joan's case, and Joan predicts that a messenger will come and report that the soldiers in Rouvray have performed a military reversal, which is very specific. Yeah. Um, Lo and behold, the messenger comes and delivers the message that she predicts, and the garrison commander and the soldiers now think that she knows about battles through divine grace while tending her flocks in Lorraine and uses this divine revelation to persuade him to take her to the Dauphin. Mm -hmm. So this is where they start thinking like she's the one that the prophecy is talking about. Yeah. And so it convinces them to take her to court. Yeah. Which is dope. Okay, so Robert de Botricor granted Joan an ex- escort to Chinon, which is where the royal court is. So she made the journey through hostile Burgundian territory disguised as a male soldier. Yeah. And that comes up later in her life, too. Joan and Charles VII meets when she is 17 and he is 26. Uh, she is. She makes a really strong impression on him, and she declares that she will provide a sign at Orleans. Charles' mother-in-law is about to fund a relief effort to Orleans to help with the siege, 
and Joan asks permission to travel with the army wearing a protective armor. Yeah. So the historians that talk about this time period are trying to figure out like why they take her seriously. <laughs> Which, I mean, yeah. sounds horrible, but re- realistically, it's like you're you're yeah. a woman in medieval times, and you somehow think it, you're going to insert yourself into this war. Yeah. And the, you're you just know, like, leadership. I love her moxie, though. She's yeah. just like, like, sauntering up like she owns the place. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's great. So this historian, excuse me, this historian Stephen W. Ritchie kind of boils it down. And so this is what he says about the incident. So he says, After years of one humiliating defeat after another, both the military and civil leadership of France were demoralized and discredited. When the Dauphin Charles granted Joan's urgent request to be equipped for war and placed at the head of his army, his decision must have been based in large part on the knowledge that the very orthodox, every rational option had been tried and had failed. Only a regime in the final straits of desperation would pay any heed to an illiterate farm girl who claimed that the voice of God was instructing her to take charge of her country's army and lead it to victory. So they were desperate. I mean, the majority of France at this point was taken over by the English. Like, they were losing bad. Yeah. That's like the equivalent of me marching up to the White House. (laughs) I'm running this country now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of amazing that she's gotten this far at this point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so clergymen were concerned that Joan was let in because they didn't know if she was a moral person. Like, they didn't know if she was, like, a sorceress or whatever. <sighs> that, yeah, and so... so be- Is she a witch? <laughs> so before she was allowed to go to war, they did, like, a background check on her religious standing uh, and found her... Yo, t- you believe in God? Yeah, yeah. man. But hey, she- man, you down with a J-dog? <laughs> But she, so she is found to be a good Christian girl and like, and a lot of people vouch for her. Yeah. Um, so in the process of convincing the clergyman to let her go with the relief effort, Joan turned the fight into a religious war because at this point it was a political war, but now it's like, oh, God wants us to win. You know, it kind of changes everything. That hot, that hot zest of religion yeah it really did um and i think too that she was kind of a up in morale for these people who had been you know they have had so many defeats and so having this probably was like this is extraordinary you know so in orleans the leader jean d'orlean um excluded her from war meetings but it didn't stop her from going or having charles include her in war councils There were many noblemen that didn't like that she was there and purposely didn't communicate her when they were heading out or what the update was. Yeah. Um, But many noblemen stated that Joan had a profound effect on their decisions since they often accepted the advice that she gave them, believing her advice was divinely inspired. Uh, In either case, historians agree that the army enjoyed remarkable success after her brief time with it. Yeah. And it really was brief. It was less than a year that she was with them. Um, she was a heroine on multiple successful attacks against the English, including taking back the fort in Saint Lou, uh, Saint Jean de Blanc, and Le Augustine. That's the best I can do, peeps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at one point during battle, she was shot 
with an arrow in between the neck and the shoulder and was still able to encourage the troops with her banner held high to take <laughs> over the fortress. How yeah. dope is that? That's some metal shit. Yeah. I mean, that, that is very metal. It is. People took this as a sign that Joan... So when Joan said, I will have a sign in Marlene's, that's what people thought she was talking about. Yeah. Uh, so to the English, the ability of this peasant girl to defeat her their armies was regarded as proof that she was possessed by the devil. Of course. <laughs> yeah. The likely assumption. <laughs> the likeliest of assumptions. <laughs> the devil made her do it. Um, after Orleans, Joan persuaded Charles VII to go to Reims, which is the traditional spot of where kings are consecrated. But it was right smack dab in the middle of enemy territory. Nice. And usually in war, you kind of pick off the borders. And so even the enemy thought that they would hit Paris or Normandy. Uh, but she's like, no, let's just plow through to yeah. the center. And he's like, okay. Yeah, you sure about this, man? <laughs> yeah. At this point, the noblemen that didn't like her were some of her most adamant supporters. She had saved a lot of their lives in battle. Um, so the French army sieges through Jargot on June 12th. Montrelor on the 15th of June and uh, Bogancy in the 17th of June. So this is like June 12th, June 15th, June 7th. They're like hitting it yeah. hard, like in a week. They're yeah. go just plowing blasting. through all these, blasting through all these places. So the English army withdraws and head north on uh, the 18th of June after their last battle. Uh, joining with reinforcements, and Joan urges the French army to pursue them, and they meet head to head in the Battle of Patay. Um, French uh, vanguard attacked a unit of English archers who had been placed to block the road. A route ensued that decimated the main body of the English army and killed or captured most of its commanders. The French suffered minimal losses. Yeah. Which is incredible. I mean, they plowed through the English territory with, yeah. like, they're like, what, we lost maybe a hundred people? Yeah. That's pretty good. We lost Larry. <laughs> Laoi. Laoi. <laughs> Laoi is gone, but it's for a good cause. <laughs> so the French plows through France to Reims, and the city surrenders. Obviously, they're like, holy cow. Yeah. JK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Uh, there was some opposition, but the English soldiers were running out of food and supplies, so they didn't put up much of a fight. Um, Reims opened its gates to the army on the 16th of July in 1429. The consecration of Charles VII took place the following morning. Crazy how fast this is happening. Yeah. Although Joan and the she's Duke... She's speed running this. She is. She's... I mean, if you have years... I mean, this is a hundred year war. This is slow progress being yeah. made. And all of a sudden it's like, bam, 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 bam. Yeah. So of course they're like, Joan is God's servant, yeah. obviously. Yeah. So although Joan and the Duke of... Al I'm gonna say Alencon? Alen Alencon? Alen... Okay. The Duke urged a prompt march towards Paris. Uh, the royal court preferred to negotiate a truce with the Dirk Duke of Burgundy, but all that did was allow him to stall. Because he's losing, so obviously he wants more time. And even Joan was like, don't bother with this guy. Like, we gotta take over the rest of France. Like, we yeah. gotta take it back. And the royal court is like, no, let's do this diplomatically. And she's like, clearly that's work for you. Yeah. In the past. <laughs> Um, so anyways, so French armies then headed to Paris and were met by the English and began an assault. Despite the wound to the leg from a crossbow bolt, Joan remained in the inner trench of Paris until she was carried back to safety by one of the commanders. The French armies were commanded to withdraw shortly afterwards, and on the 29th of December, 
Joan and her family were ennobled by Charles the eighth. No, okay. the seventh. Sorry, how many Charles by... we got? We got a lot. No, it's just two right now. I read, I read my thing wrong. It's it, they were ennobled by Charles the seventh as a reward for their actions. Mm-hmm. So she was. I don't know what that means, but it's a good thing. It's like, hey, great job. Um, <laughs> gold star, gold stars. Uh, Joan traveled to Champagne. Oh, how would the French say this? Um, Joan traveled to Compiègne. Sure. The following May to help defend the city against the English and Burgundian siege. So on May twenty third, uh, fourteen thirty, she was. With the force that attempted to attack the Burgundian camp at Margny, north of Campagne, but was ambushed and captured. So the Burgundian troops surrounded the rear guard and she was pulled off her horse by an archer. Joan was imprisoned by the Burgundians. Wait, somebody just yanked her? Yeah, they were ambushed and so someone yanked her off her horse. Yeah. Because she was in the rear of the army Uh, and, and she was captured, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so she made several escape attempts, on one occasion jumping from her 70-foot tower, landing on the soft earth of a dry moat, after which she was moved to the Burgundian town of Arras. Arras? Sure. But I mean, 70 feet! Holy cow! She's like Spider-Man. Like, what, yeah. the, what the hell's going on? <laughs> I don't know if she got injured. It doesn't say. I should think so. Yeah, I mean, dropping into water at 70 feet, that feels like concrete. Like, that's insane that it was, like, on the ground. Yeah. Who wrote this down? Joe from... (laughs) (laughs) The the prison guard? 70 feet? Yeah. No, it's... So this this castle still is around. Oh, yeah. And they know where she was put, and they measured it, and it's 70 feet off the ground that she landed in this dry moat. Yeah, that's some Looney Tunes. That's so action. insane. Yeah. Um. Okay. So the English and French authorities argue back and forth on what to do with her. Like, hey, we want her back. It's like, no, she's a prisoner of war. Blah blah. Um. So they settle on a trial for heresy. Uh, many French loyalists attempted to break her out of prison multiple times, but it they were all fought off every yeah. single time. So the trial was very biased and politically based. Almost no... Surprising. Yeah, and it was almost all English people or English um, uh, sympathizers that were there. The evidence used in that trial was the definition of medieval. It was just like... because I said so. Yeah, because of... Yeah, essentially. And so she was accused of cross-dressing. And they cited when she was first taken to court dressed as a boy. And it's like, she was wearing armor like the whole time what do you want you're scraping (laughs) but again this is the medieval times and she's a woman that's fine um blah 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 so she wasn't educated enough to defend herself against most of the technicalities that she was accused of yeah besides a middle finger yeah i mean she was she couldn't read or write very well and so when they put like a a document in front of her she's like i don't understand what this this is saying and they're all like oh guilty yeah (laughs) essentially is what happened so Joan of Arc was there. You see, <laughs> you see, she's dumb. <laughs> she can't, she can't read. Yo, yo, if you send people for being dumb, like what am I doing? Out? Yeah. <laughs> what am I doing? Not in prison. Joan of Arc was sen- sentenced to burn at the stake, thirtieth of May, fourteen thirty-one. So, she- so her list of grievances are currently dumb and war pants. Yeah, exactly. 
she asked two of the clergy, Friar Martin Ladvenu and Friar Isambard de la Pierre, to hold a crucifix before her. An English soldier also constructed a small cross that she put in front of her dress. After she died, the English raked back the coals to expose her charred body so that no one can claim that she escaped alive. So that apparently was a problem before. They then burn the body twice more to reduce it to ashes and present, prevent any collection of relics and cast her remains into the Seine. The executioner, uh, Jeffrey Theridge, later stated that he greatly feared to be damned for he, was, he had burned a holy woman. So, wow. so that is the story of Joan of Arc. Yep. Yep. I did leave a lot of stuff out about the trial because it was just all dumb. And yeah. Like, it's hokey we, nonsense. We get it. She didn't stand a chance against yeah. these Englishmen in court, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, the biggest, the thing that, like, boggles my mind is, like, she was tried for heresy, but the biggest thing they pinned on her was cross dressing. Yeah, I think if you're going heresy, there might be... I don't know. It's just, just wild. I love that they even had a trial. Like, good for you. <laughs> Look I mean, at you. We love ethics here. At <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. Like, she's fighting for France, and she had a trial in France. But because it was, it was basically a civil war... Yeah. At that point. So it was like, it wasn't until the 1800s that she was deemed a a hero um, by yeah. the French government. She was deemed a saint, I want to say. Oh, here we go. Let me look it up real quick. Oh, there's a retrial too. So I just didn't know what to do with her. We know that we don't like you. <laughs> We're trying to find the best reason to kill you. Oh, you dress like a man. Definitely not okay. Yeah. So she died at 19 years old. She was super young. Yeah. She didn't she only lived for 19 years and she had this amazing impact. So in 1456 the trial was debunked and the pope at the time pronounced her innocent and a martyr. Yeah. Um and then I think Napoleon Bonaparte actually labeled her a saint and so she's been a saint since Napoleon. Really? Yeah. Interesting. That took a lot of deliberation. <laughs> Most of it n not making any sense, but yeah. um, the fact that she had so much bravery to be like, yeah, I mean, I'm down with attempting to fight back the English. Yeah, you've got it, Catherine. <laughs> Imagine being 13 years old, being visited by three angels, and them saying, you need to save France. And she's like, Gotcha. I gotcha. I don't know. There's so many things that just show... I mean, the fact that she saved noblemen's lives who they just wouldn't even include her in the war rooms. Yeah. Like, that just shows so much of her character. I mean, as a teenager, I would be petty and be like, oh, whoops, you died, you know? <laughs> That's you're, like, you're like Willy Wonka. Like, oh, no. <laughs> Please stop. Some, oh, no. Somebody help. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, she's an amazing woman, and I'm very proud to say that I dressed up for her as Halloween. <laughs> I'm sure you were very well educated about her. Well, so as a kid, I remember we had, like, encyclopedias, like a huge set of encyclopedias, like, before yeah. I was even had access to a computer. Yeah. And I remember looking up Joan of Arc in the encyclopedia and just reading about her story. I think I was like 
seven or something. Like, yeah. I was, like, super enamored with her as a person. Yeah. So. I think it's very natural for girls to look up to female figures like that because not only did they have a very profound impact but her impact was very um actionable yeah straight from her own hands so there's a couple movies out there about joan of arc but none of them do her much of a service like it's i feel like joan of arc has kind of become this mythical figure almost like there's a lot of there's a lot of stories and there's a lot of um hearsay Mm -hmm. that makes it a more colorful story but isn't History to anybody, yeah. Like, historically accurate. Um, I think that kind of does a disservice because waters down how cool she actually was. Yeah. How amazing of a... Yeah. There was actually... I don't know if this is true, but there's a story, like, when she first met Charles and, the, and like, his advisors and clergymen were like, we don't know if we can trust her yet, kind of a thing. They had a courtroom. Charles was, like, dressed up like a servant and they said, oh, if Joan of Arc is who she says she is, she's going to identify him as the king, essentially. Yeah, obviously. And um, someone that isn't divinely inspired or whatever. So they have somebody dressed up in royal clothes who's not Charles. And so if she goes into court, she kind of looks around confused. And then she goes straight to Charles, who's like holding like a, a tray and a goblet or whatever. And she's like bowing to him like your majesty. And so, of course, their minds are, like, blown. I don't know if that's true, but that's kind of, like, a story around, like, how she could just, like, predict things like crazy. I hope that's true. It sounds like some Shakespearean, like, you know what I'll do? (laughs) It does sound like... Here, servant, give me thine clothes. But that's the thing, is, like, it totally makes sense why people mark her out to be a storybook figure rather than a historical figure, because, like, a lot of the stuff that she did was just like she predicted that um a cannon would come through a wall and kill this dude and so she basically said hey get out of the way and then right then a cannon blew through the wall Mm -hmm. and she saved this dude's life yeah and that just that stuff happened all the time with her yeah which to me i'm like i'm I'm convinced she was divinely inspired yeah there there has been um in the enzyme i read a an article about Joan of Arc, and she is hailed as a um, spiritual figure. Mm-hmm. Um, I would to... the like the combination of like the religious aspect and that she rocked the military scene <laughs> hard to me is just so ba. Yeah, from just like walking out from her field, and then all of a sudden a tactical advisor. Yeah, big time. That's all I got for today. Thank you. Yeah, for sharing. I'm excited to see. What you come up with next week? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, mine is, spoiler alert, going to be about Vincent Van Gogh. Yay! Who I feel very strongly about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, stay tuned, guys. And thanks for listening. We appreciate you. And we'll see you next time. See ya.